Good morning, everyone. I want to say welcome to those of you joining us online. Welcome to those of you joining us at West Campus. Again, my name is Andrew, and I'm one of the pastors here at Crossroads, and I'm excited to be here with you guys today. Did you guys have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah, okay, that's good. Yep, today's, or yesterday was the first day all week. I've not been wearing sweatpants because I heard it's frowned upon to preach in sweatpants, but I've been making it okay last night and today. Um, I'm sure that that's true for some of you as well. Uh, now, before we get going, I wanna make sure you guys are aware of two things that are coming up here in the next month. The first thing Nikki mentioned at the end of that announcement, it's that we've got a worship night coming up tonight here at our Newburgh campus at six o'clock. I hope you'll make that a priority. It's gonna be an incredible night of, for, of freedom and forgiveness as we worship our God together. So if you can make that a priority, we've got childcare for kids ages um, five and under. So I hope, again, that you will make that a priority today. Second thing is we are four weeks away from Christmas. So we've got Christmas services coming up and those services will be at our West Campus at two and four on Sunday. And then at Newburgh, it will be at two and four, both on Sunday and Monday. So make sure you get those service times marked down. They're obviously different than our normal times. And we would also love for you to consider serving one of those services with us, whether it's with our hospitality team, passing out hot chocolate to guests, making sure that this is a place that feels like home. Or if you actually like to have fun, you can come hang out with me in the kids' world where we will be hanging out with our nursery and preschool students. Um, and you can sign up for that by going to cccgo.com forward slash Christmas. It's gonna be an incredible weekend, so I hope you'll make those a priority. Now, before we jump in today, I wanna take a minute and pray uh, for our worship service tonight and then also the rest of our service today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to worship you. God, we so look forward to tonight and we ask you to move however it is that you want to move. We wanna open our hearts and our lives to you and receive from you, God. So we pray that your blessing will be upon tonight. God, on our remaining time this morning, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather and we ask that you would give us open hearts and open minds to receive from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, three of my favorite things in life are family, food, and football. So for that reason, I am a huge fan of Thanksgiving. All right, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday because it's usually full of all three of those things if you do Thanksgiving right, all right? Now, I want to try to figure out what kind of people we have here. So whether you're online at West or right here with us at Newburgh, if you can raise your hand or comment, whatever, what is your favorite holiday? Okay, we're gonna go through in order here. So Thanksgiving, your favorite Holidays, Thanksgiving, can you raise your hand? All right, we're up to 32 of us counting today and last night, we're doing okay. All right, Christmas, if Christmas is your favorite holiday, raise your hand. All right, leave those hands up for a minute. If you've been listening to Christmas music for more than a month, leave your hand up. Okay, the rest of you Christmas people look around. Those people are the people that give you a bad name, okay? Just make sure you know who those people are. Now, if your favorite holiday is other, raise your hand. Whoa, we got a few more of those than we did. Okay, all right, that's good to see. Now, the thing that I love about holidays is the traditions that are wrapped around holidays. I love the family traditions. I love getting to know what different families do. At Thanksgiving, for me, one of the markers that, that it is Thanksgiving is that there's like a giant slice of pumpkin pie with enough Cool Whip that you can't actually see the pumpkin pie, right? Because that's how you do pumpkin pie, right? 
Um, I remember six years ago, I went up to uh, half Thanksgiving with uh, my then girlfriend, now wife's family, and I got there and we finished the meal. I went over to the dessert table and there was no pumpkin pie. And I thought that somewhere between Evansville and Mooresville, I had hit like some type of warp and ended up in England to celebrate Thanksgiving. I was like, what is this? This isn't Thanksgiving. Now, after I made that comment last night, apparently my mother-in-law was listening, and so she said, I would like you to know that this last Thursday we had two pumpkin pies and Cool Whip. And so I responded, welcome to America, right? (laughs) So I love these different traditions as we come into the Christmas season. I remember growing up, my dad would take us to see the lights around our town. We would go to the neighboring town and look at the different lights that were there as well. On Christmas morning, my dad always had us lined up on the steps and he would read through the Christmas story from Luke chapter two. And as he did, I would usually act annoyed. But now as I look back, I'm grateful for those times that we had together. I think about New Year's and on New Year's, we always did puzzles and we had root beer floats. And so those are things for me that that say to me, yeah, this is the holiday season. This is what makes this stuff right. Now, since becoming married outside of the pumpkin pie incident, I've become or come to enjoy some of the traditions that my wife's family has as well. But now we're at this interesting point where we've been married for five years. We now have a little one and we're starting to have the conversation. What traditions do we want to have? Right. What is it that we want Abe, our son, to look back on? What is it that, that we want to mark our family? And as I think about that, I think it's because as all of us look back on our life, for better or for worse, we can look back at traditions and rhythms that were part of our life and say that 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 shaped my childhood. That shaped how I think about this thing or that thing. And it's true not just of traditions around holidays, but also for rhythms that we have day in and day out, week in and week out. I bring that up because today as we jump into this last week in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 going through uh, chapter 4, what we're going to see is we're going to see Paul point Timothy back to some traditions, some um, rhythms that he had in his life that, that shaped him from childhood up to the point that he was at now. Now, as we look at this, the thing that we're going to see is how what Paul is doing is pointing Timothy to a way to continue to press forward in hard times. Last week, we saw how the gospel we've been entrusted with should shape us and should ultimately shape the way we fight with other people, shape the way we reflect Jesus in the world. In this little passage, chapter or three, verses one through nine, which we're not gonna cover today, we see Paul tell Timothy, hey, there are gonna be really hard days ahead. Things aren't going to get easier. In fact, things are probably just going to get harder. But don't get caught up. Don't follow the way of of these false teachers who are just looking for something new. Rather than doing that, Timothy, what I want you to do is follow my example. Stay faithful. Continue to endure. And he gives Timothy a a stark reality about the way that, that the world works. And here's what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. He says this. He says, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So he's saying to Timothy, hey, don't be surprised when these things happen. Things are, are going to be hard. Things are going to be difficult. But in the midst of these trying times, what Paul does is he points Timothy back to some rhythms that shaped the man he had become. Here's what Paul says in in chapter 3, verse 14. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe. 
You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy that you have known the holy scriptures, which are able, or the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, as we look at that passage, that word there close to the beginning, that word continue is important because it's actually the same word that Jesus uses in John chapter 15 when he tells his followers, he says, hey, remain in me or abide in me or continue in me so that you can experience the, the fruit of being connected with me. So here what Paul is saying is, hey, continue or remain or abide in what you have learned and firmly believe." In contrast with these teachers that were always looking for something new, something better, what Paul does is he points Timothy back to what he had learned since childhood. In commenting on this passage, a guy named Thomas Lee writes this. He says, Timothy's need was not to search out new novelties on which he might squander his energies, but to remain in the truths he had learned. The secret for Timothy pressing forward in the situation he found himself was to go back to what he had learned as a child. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, we learned that Timothy was actually uh, the result of his mom and his grandma, Lois and Eunice, passing on their faith to him. And here we learned that, that they had got this word of God before him. They'd gotten the scriptures before him. So what are the, those sacred scriptures? Well, for Timothy, it was what makes up our Old Testament because the New Testament wasn't completed at this point. But what Paul makes clear is that these scriptures that Timothy had been acquainted with had a purpose. The purpose of these scriptures were to make him wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The purpose of us becoming more and more acquainted with God's word, the purpose of us putting the word before our church, before our kids, is ultimately to point them to Jesus. It's to allow them to become wise for salvation. I think in this passage here, we learn two important things. The first thing is this, that, that the scriptures are an incredible gift that we should take advantage of. And the second thing is, is that there's a way we should approach the scripture, and that is through the lens of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Apart from that, we can't correctly understand what God puts before us. See, it's for this reason that in our kids' world, from nursery all the way up through fifth grade, we use a curriculum called the Gospel Project, which every three years takes us through the story of Scripture from Genesis through Revelation, and it does it through the lens of how does this point us to Jesus? Why do we do that? Because we think it's important that we begin building that foundation in our kids from the youngest age so that they can begin to see the Scripture in this light. But it isn't just enough for Timothy to uh, go to what he has learned or, or what he has learned as, as a child. What Paul ultimately does is, does is say, hey, hold on to these things that you've now come to firmly believe. You see, the fact is, is that we can know our Bibles as well as anyone or better than other people, but we can completely miss Jesus. And that's something that, that we should never do. Jesus was talking to some religious leaders in John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, and he said this to him. He says, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. You see, the scriptures ultimately point us to Jesus. So if we are simply looking for a list of rules for us to follow in order to get into heaven, if we're just simply looking for how we can have a better life, Jesus offers something much more than that. He offers himself, and that's what we can't miss as we read the scriptures. 
Right here, I think we see an important challenge from Paul, and it's this, that regardless of who we are or what our background is, we have to decide at some point in our life what we're gonna do with Jesus. You see, if you grew up in the church, maybe your parents came here, at some point you have to take what was your parents' faith and make it your own faith. If you've never been in church before and you're just now getting to hear about Jesus for you, at some point you have to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. But regardless of what your background is, regardless of what your story is, what I want to tell you is this. What I want to really encourage you to do is regardless of what's going on, make sure that the Jesus you're accepting or rejecting is the real Jesus. See, because there are lots of pictures of Jesus floating around in the world. There are a lot of pictures of Jesus that that are floating around in our culture that, that don't actually reflect the Jesus that we see in Scripture. So if this is a decision that you're going to make a pivot point in your life, whether you accept or reject, make sure it's the real Jesus. We got pictures of Jesus in our world, like the hippie Jesus that's just laid back up for whatever's going on in life. And that's not the picture of Jesus we see in scripture. We've got the Rambo Jesus, you know, that's ready to bust in with his AK-47 strapped to him, ready to rock at any time. And that's not the Jesus we see in scripture. So what's the Jesus we see in scripture? Well, I want to challenge you guys as our congregation to to join me over the next month in an adventure to to kind of discover that. What I want to encourage you to do is join me in reading through the Gospel of Luke. You see, starting the week after Christmas, we're going to do a six-week series through six key passages in the book of Luke. And so to prepare for that, because that very first week, we're starting off with a message that's going to ask the question, who is Jesus? So to prepare for that, what I want to encourage you to do is five days a week for the weeks from now until the week after Christmas, I I want you to read one chapter of Luke a day, just one chapter, five days a week. If you miss a day, catch up on the weekend. And as you're going through, I've got a little template I'm going to give to you for you to follow as you read. All right. And now if you have your own Bible study method, your own Bible reading method, that's great. Stick with that. If it follows some of these same principles, but I'm going to offer one that's been helpful for me. All right. So as you read through the book of Luke, this thing's called the Swedish um, Bible study method because uh, they caught some Swedish students studying this. All right. So just in case you want to Google it, (laughs) but here is the method that he offers. So the first thing is a light bulb. So the first thing you do is you ask what shines out in this passage. So as you're reading, you can do this in your Bible, actually draw a little light bulb there next to something that shines out, or you can have a notebook there and have a little light bulb there. And what you do is just note what it is that stands out to you and and why does it stand out? What is it? What do you think the author's main point is in that passage? What is it that draws your attention? So that's the first thing. The second thing is a question mark. And there, what you're gonna do is you're gonna ask questions. So what is it that puzzles you or confuses you? Actually write that down. What is it that you would like to ask the author? What is it that you would ultimately like to ask God in light of what you are reading in this passage? And you need to actually write down those questions. Why? Because often what you'll find is as you continue to read through scripture, sometimes scripture ends up answering your question elsewhere. I think one of the sad things for us as we become adults is sometimes we're scared to actually ask questions about scripture 
I've served here in the kids' world for the last three years, and one of the things I love is that kids aren't scared to ask anything about what they find weird in the Bible, all right? We've read through some stories, and they've asked questions where I've been like, I don't know, let me find a, a, a different pastor, because I'm the wrong pastor to answer that question, right? Because there are some big questions that you can run into, but actually write those down and talk about those with others. The third thing to do is this arrow here, and that is what can I apply? What is it that I can draw a line from this text to my heart so that it actually changes how I live whenever I leave here? Whenever you mark that down, a big thing for me is to let someone else know what that arrow is so that someone else can actually hold me accountable. And the final thing is a speech bubble with a name in it where you write down the name of someone who would benefit from hearing what it is that you think that God is speaking to you through the scripture. This is such a helpful method for me because it helps me realize that, that I don't have to have all the answers and it helps me actually read scripture in community. This last point of actually sharing it with others is key because it actually reflects what, what Timothy or is told earlier in 2 Timothy chapter two, where Paul writes this. He says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. The passing on from one person to another is part of God's design for how his word is to spread in this world. And as you're doing this through the book of Luke, the thing you're going to see is that Luke again and again points to Jesus as the fulfillment of what God said he was going to do in the Old Testament. And it gives a really clear picture of Jesus's mission here in the world. So after a month of that, my hope is, is that as we come together the week after Christmas and we ask the question, what am I going to do about Jesus? You're gonna be able to answer that based upon seeing Jesus on his own terms instead of what you've just seen in the world or heard from others. Now, Paul's thought about the foundation that Timothy had laid in his life seems to spur him on to say something about the nature and the purpose of Scripture. Here's what he says in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. He says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I've known that scripture for a really long time. And for a long time, I've thought, man, that's a great passage for a pastor because that means that, that I can just say, hey, guys, look, here's scripture. It's profitable for teaching you, rebuking you, correcting you, training you in righteousness so that you may be equipped for every good work. But the thing that, that I was challenged by this week as I read that is how if you look throughout the book of 2 Timothy, what it does again and again is it talks to Timothy as the man of God as this person that was learning and growing. And so the thing that hit me is how first and foremost, what I think Paul is calling us to do is as we're reading scripture, rather than applying it for other people, let scripture teach you. Let scripture rebuke you. Let scripture correct you. Let scripture train you in righteousness so that you may be equipped for every good work. See, first and foremost, as we're reading scripture, before we try to apply it to other people's lives, before we try just to move on with knowledge, we have to actually let scripture read us and read our hearts. We need to let scripture expose what it is in our hearts that, that isn't aligning with God's word. Now, Paul's statement here should drastically change the way that we approach scripture a challenge for me as I've thought about this this week is how often do I actually approach scripture as if it is the primary way or one of the primary ways that God shapes me into the person that God's designed me to be? And how often do I approach it just as something to check off of a list? 
How often do I just come to scripture and say, all right, time to get this done so I can go on with my day. And it's more often than I care to admit. But I think that the challenge here is to actually see that, that this is something that shapes us. As I was talking over this passage uh, with my brother-in-law just the other day, uh, he was talking about how often in our world we like to turn to other mottos or, or other stories to, to ultimately shape us to make decisions. One of the challenges out of this passage is asking the question, what is it that most shapes you and shapes how you respond to the world around you? What is it that shapes how you respond to that coworker that continues to get on your nerves? How is it that, or what is it that shapes how you respond to your spouse when, when you guys are going back and forth arguing with one another? What is it that shapes how you discipline your child whenever your child once again does something that you've told them not to do a hundred times? What is it that shapes the way that you respond to your parents? What is it that shapes how you respond to other people? When you're disciplining your child, you go back to the trusty statement from Spider-Man that with great power comes great responsibility and let that be your charge for them as they go. What is it? What's the story that, that's shaping your heart? What's the story that shapes the way that you're responding to other people? One of the things that I was challenged with here is that I knew that this weekend what I was gonna do is, is one of the things that, that I need to do is put forward our year-end offering goal before our congregation. So that's your little preview, that that's getting ready to come. But here is where that really hit me, was I was kind of thinking through that as Black Friday was coming, you know? And so I realized that, that as I was shopping for Black Friday, I had a bunch of things in my cart online, and it got to the point where I said, do I actually need these things? And the motto that I turned to was, was a question that, that sometimes I ask myself and I ask others. I said, what would Nike do? And what's the answer to that? Just do it. And so that's what I did. I checked out and now I have some things on the way to my house. But as I was reflecting back on this, I was thinking, that may be the worst way on earth to, to financially manage your money, Andrew. You know, that, that's not too smart, running it through the filter of what would Nike do? But the thing that challenged me there is to begin asking the question, what's shaping the way I manage my finances most? Is it just what seems comfortable? Is it what I'm most comfortable with? Is it what I see most other people doing? Or am I actually seeking the Lord to say, okay, God, what is it that you have to say to me about how to use my finances? What is it that ultimately shapes the way that I steward my money? Now, as we approach the end of this year, we do have a year-end goal that will help us advance the ministry that not only goes on here, but also through our partners around the world. It's incredible to hear about what's going on right now with our partners in Dubai, as they have a congregation that's made up of 80 different nationalities. Not only that, but they have baptisms every single Friday where they celebrate people coming to Christ from nations all over the world. We've got a church partner that, that's new from Bangalore, India, and, and he has now outgrown the house that they were meeting in, and now they're looking for the next meeting location. Why? Because the gospel is now taking root, and it's spreading all over the place. Our church partner in uh, Epiphany in Brooklyn, Brandon Watts, they just started their third service a couple of months ago, and just two weeks ago, they celebrated six baptisms because the gospel is advancing. 
Right here in our city, we see Jesus' name being lifted high through our partners like Community One, like Evansville Christian Life Center, like Potter's Wheel, and other local partners where we see the gospel advancing through people. Right here in our church, we've had at least 140 baptisms this year. Now, why? Because the gospel is taking root and advancing. That stuff is exciting to me. It makes it fun to come to work, and it makes it fun to actually contribute to the place where I get to come to work. So what I'm going to ask you guys to do is ask the same questions that I am. Now, right here as we come to the year end, our year end goal for the month of December is $750,000. So right here, you can learn more at cccgo.com forward slash give. Now, the questions that my wife and I are, are asking ourselves here over the next few weeks, these are the questions we need to ask as we're moving through, is this, what would it look like for us to actually increase our regular giving? The regular giving that, that we're doing, that we've been doing since we came on, that we've increased from year to year as we've looked at what God's calling us to do, is the number where we're at now, is that something that's just comfortable or is that something that's showing that, that Jesus is first in our life? Second thing that we're considering is as we look back on 2018 and we see God's faithfulness throughout the year, what would it look like for us to give a generous year-end gift to reflect our gratefulness for the way that God has been faithful again and again? So if you're here and you've been giving to Crossroads, I'd love for you to consider those two questions. If you're here and you're excited about what God is doing here, but, but maybe you're not giving financially, I'd love for you just to consider and pray about what it would look like for you to come and partner with us in pursuing this mission that God has called us on because the gospel is advancing in and through what God has called us to as a church. Again, we see God's faithfulness over and over again throughout 2 Timothy, and that's something I think we need to look back on in this season. Now, here in our passage, we see that, that Scripture is es essential for shaping us into the people that God ultimately created us to be. That's what we see Paul talking about there in verse 17. And so the, the checking point that I've had for what my attitude should be approaching Scripture comes from a guy named Tim Chester where he says this. He says, without God's word in my life, I too readily get preoccupied with myself, my fears, my insecurities, my reputation. Without God's word, I'm so much more vulnerable to temptation. I need God's word to realign my heart day by day toward Jesus. That's something I recognize, but sometimes isn't always reflected in my actions. Now, we must not forget that we have access to God's word at any time and that reading scripture can actually shape and it will shape any area of our lives that we allow it to do. We can't allow scripture to be just the, the, the reception of more and more knowledge. It must be something that transforms our hearts and our lives. Now, Paul goes on in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, to talk about how God's word then, how the implications of believing God's word compels Timothy to, to do something different with, with his life. Here's what it says in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Paul begins by providing a, a framework for the seriousness of the charge that he's giving Timothy by saying, hey, God's watching. 
That, that should compel you to be even more convinced that, that advancing this mission is important. So go forward, preach the word. But to preach the word here shouldn't be relegated to just the understanding of what happens in a pulpit week to week because that's not the way that the gospel was spread and preached in the early church. It was ultimately spread through the everyday life, things that were going on in people's lives. Sure, it should definitely be done here on the stage. That's a challenge for us, but it's a challenge for each and every one of us to look at our everyday lives and see how, how is the gospel advancing in and through what I am doing. Notice how Paul ultimately aligns his charge to Timothy with what he just said about Scripture in chapter 3, verse 16, saying, hey, this is what Scripture does. And then now as he says, preach the word, he says, let Scripture do what Scripture does, right? Let it go ahead and be the thing that rebukes, corrects, encourages, and teaches with gentleness. Now, as we look at this, the thing that I don't want us to miss there is right at the end where he says, encourage with great patience and teaching. Because a lot of times, again, we can, we can take the scripture and turn it into a weapon instead of allowing it to be a life-giving source. We can't fall into that. We need to handle it with great patience. Timothy was also charged here to do this in season and out of season. That means to, to actually preach the word when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient, when people want to hear it, when they don't want to hear it, to preach it no matter if you feel like it or don't feel like it. The charge to Timothy is to preach the word. Ultimately, what Paul is saying to Timothy is, hey, the gospel message is never out of season. And talking about how the gospel is to spread and how we can see this just in our world today, Eric Geiger points to a book by a professor and author, Jonathan Berger, uh, called Contagious, where he writes about why ideas or why things catch on. In one of the chapters there, he, he talked about how they did a study to evaluate why online articles spread, like which ones were the most shared, what was it that led to that. And the thing that they discovered was that the most shared articles were those that, that ultimately left people in awe of what they had read. People were 30% more or 30 times more likely to share an article if it invoked awe. Quite simply, I think that that's an easy check for us to ask the question, are we in awe of what God has done? Are we in awe of the fact that the God who spoke the world into existence and created us chose to rescue us after we rebelled from him and has given us brand new life? Is that something that leaves us in awe or is that something that seems like, like just a distant memory, like, like just something that, that's assumed as part of our life now? I think that the challenge from this passage is to recognize that whatever we find amazing, we share. Whatever we're left in awe of, we share. We, we spread whatever that is, and that's a charge for us. Now, Paul goes on to write this in verses 3 and 4. He says, For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but, will, or, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. The challenge out of that passage for you and I is to constantly check what we're hearing from others, even from this stage against scripture, because we constantly want to make sure that that is the thing we go back to again and again. We must actually have a view of scripture that allows scripture to contradict what we believe, right? 
Tim Keller says this, he says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. And I think that that's what Paul was warning Timothy against, was that, hey, people are just gonna want to hear what they want to hear, and and that's what's most natural for me as well. Now, this idea leads into what is like the high point of Paul's last will and testament to Timothy as we come here to verse five, where Paul gives his final charge to Timothy. Here's what Paul has to say to Timothy. He says, but as for you, rather than being one of those people that that seek to itch their ears, rather than than being someone that just says what people want to hear, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. I don't want us to miss how, how this has developed throughout this section we've seen. You see, what Paul did is he began by saying, hey, hey, Timothy, Go back to the foundational thing that shaped who you are today. Go back to the scripture and see how how that has shaped and formed you. But allow that that understanding of how scripture shapes and forms you and how scripture ultimately shapes how you view everything that's going on in your life from your marriage to everything else. Allow that scripture to have its natural implications, which is you actually share what, what God is doing in and through you. The gospel we have been entrusted with is to advance to the world through us. We see this charge to to preach the word. We see this charge to do the work of an evangelist. Now, one of the most amazing things for me is to look back at the history of the world and ask the question, how did a movement that started with 120 people back in Acts chapter 1 grow to be a movement of now over or several billion people? What was it that led to the church exploding like it did? How did the gospel spread into the whole world like it did? The thing that's clear is that that didn't happen by a a group of pastors just getting on a stage and being really good at sharing whatever it was that was going on. It happened by a movement of people who shared it in their everyday life. A guy named Michael Green who who did a study on how evangelism worked out in the early church has a quote that I love. He says this, he says, in the early church, it says they they went everywhere gossiping the gospel. They did it naturally, enthusiastically, and with conviction of those who are not paid to say that sort of thing. The gospel so grasped the early church that they went and shared it because it had changed everything for them. It became the thing that they gossiped about. It became the thing that that they couldn't help but talk about. Michael Green goes on to write this. He says, it was axiomatic, and uh, most of you all know I was homeschooled, so I definitely had to Google that word, and that word means like self-evident, all right? So it was self-evident that every Christian was called to be a witness to Christ, not only by life, but by lip. You see, the gospel that Timothy was entrusted with and the gospel that we have been entrusted with is to shape our lives and it's to shape what it is that we talk to the world about. The charge to Timothy is a charge to us as well to do the work of an evangelist. It doesn't mean that we have to be the most articulate. It doesn't mean that we have to be the most crafty. It just means that we have to be in awe of what God has done in our lives. I think that there are a couple of challenging points for me that I hope you'll consider what it looks like for you as well. And it's just thinking about how the two rhythms that Paul seems to point to in this passage would change our city and would change our world. 
What would it look like if we made it a daily discipline to actually get into scripture and say, okay, God, I want you to expose my heart. I want you to rebuke and correct me. I want you to train me to ultimately do what you've called me to do. I hope you'll join me over the next month reading through the gospel of Luke, beginning to allow God to do that in your heart even now. The second thing is this. What rhythms do I need to introduce to my life so that I am in greater awe of what God has done in my life and for me so that the gospel just naturally comes up in my everyday conversation? What does that look like? Those are the two challenges that I have, and I hope you'll consider those as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the reminder that scripture is ever active in shaping us. God, I pray right now that you will give us a greater picture of who you are and what you have done. That you will allow that that picture of what you have done to shape the way that we live and the way that we talk. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.